Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Positively Trek podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dan Gunther, and with me, as he is every week, is the wonderful Bruce Gibson. Bruce, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and all that jazz. How's it going? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Merry Christmas, Dan. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy Hanukkah. Happy everything. I love it. I love it. Really excited to be talking to you. Uh, We're recording this on Christmas Eve, a little earlier than usual. Uh, So... There may be some breaking news that'll happen in the next few days that we won't quite be on top of, but uh, we did get some breaking news, which we will talk about. First of all, some interesting scheduling for the rest of Discovery Season 4 that kind of caught a lot of people by surprise. Also, Discovery-related, a pretty cool comic miniseries announced by IDW. Uh, so we're, of course, going to be also reviewing Season 4, Episode 6, Stormy Weather of Star Trek Discovery. We'll do that after a brief break after the news. So let's let's jump right into the news because there's one headline that's making a lot of waves on the internet uh, right now. We just kind of got this news yesterday as we're recording this. And that's that Star Trek Discovery is taking a mid-season hiatus after the next episode, uh, which the the January 30th episode. And then after that, there's going to be a bit of a break until February of 2022 for Star Trek Discovery. How did you take this news, Bruce? (laughs) I was a little surprised. I'll tell you the first thing I thought of is, wait, I was thinking, wait, did we know this? And I just forgot And then I had to look and I saw, okay, no, this is something new that we didn't know about. So I thought that was a little odd that we didn't know this was coming. But at the same time, I thought, well, it's only a month away. I don't know why they're doing it, but it didn't discourage me or I didn't really get upset about it. I was just like, oh, well, that sucks. We'll wait. But at least we have Prodigy coming. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I remember we speculated or or some I speculated. I think we talked a little bit about, you know, how the kind of mid-season break for Prodigy was a bit of a surprise. And I think I might have said something like, you know, oh, we'll have them airing together, you know, in January next year, unless Discovery takes a break too. And ah, ha, ha, we talked a little bit about that, but I, I wasn't, didn't really see this coming. So I, I don't know. It's funny. Reading online, I'm seeing a lot of negative response to this. And I kind of feel a little weird in that I'm actually like happy about it (laughs) because it means that Discovery and Prodigy won't be overlapping and we've got the Book of Boba Fett coming from the Star Wars universe. And I was kind of going like, oh my goodness, we're going to have to watch Prodigy, Discovery and Book of Boba Fett every week. It's going to be, ah, I'm kind of happy, honestly. Yeah, it helps the pacing for us <laughs> doing this show. <laughs> if we weren't doing a podcast or doing blogs or anything like that or a YouTube channel, it would just be like 
yeah, it sucks that we can't get a new episode every week, that there's going to be this break, but it just does help us to spread it out. The thing I just wonder is why. Again, it's not a negative why. I'm just curious about the programming strategy behind that. I, I can understand them not wanting the series to overlap, but in a way I'm thinking, why not just have Prodigy play out and its season, go into Discovery, have it play out its season, go on to Picard and so on and so forth, as opposed to the half Prodigy, half Discovery, half Prodigy, half Discovery, unless they feel that viewers are going to get tired of it just being focused on one series for a long period of time. I don't know. I, I, I'm just very curious as to why they need to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. I, I wonder if it has something to do with like... Maybe they started running Prodigy, so they want to pick it up again, and they didn't know that all this would be kind of coming at the same time or something. I don't know. It it does feel like there's a little bit of a, a lack of foresight at somewhere along the line. I don't know where that would be exactly, but it does feel like the fact that they're kind of announcing this so shortly before it takes effect that, you know, maybe... Not necessarily that they were caught off guard by having to do this for some reason, but it kind of feels that way. I don't know if that's the case, though. My other thought is, does it have anything to do with production? Is there something mm-hmm. where the episodes are ordered and they're just making on in on time? And I'm talking for both Prodigy and Discovery. And it's a situation where it's like, well, they're still wrapping up some of the final one, two or three episodes of the season and they could use a little more time and they're like, okay, well we'll break the season and give production just like another month to finish up whatever they need to do. I kind of wonder if it has something to do with that too. It could very well be. That's a good point as well, for sure. I see a lot of people, you know, kind of like what I just said, uh, talking about the, the short term of this, I guess, the announcement of it coming so soon before it takes effect. And it's funny because I was thinking back to the days of watching TV when I was a kid. And this is this is where you and I will both go, oh, when I was a kid, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, if you didn't get the TV guide every week, you know, the TV guide was how you were like, oh, shoot, there's no new episode of whatever this week. Darn. Uh, or you just tuned in and, oh, crap, it's a rerun. <laughs> yes. So... You know, not saying that like that was necessarily the norm and and whatever, but it does feel like we usually get things in advance more nowadays than we did back then. So this kind of had me flashing back to those days when it was like, oh, suddenly there's going to be unexpected weeks where there's reruns or no new episode uh, that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, we're definitely more in the know now than we were then about things that we can go on to wikipedia or imdb or whatever and we can see oh this is how many episodes this season and this is the dates and these are the titles and i'm not talking about just star trek but television in general and Mm -hmm. yeah to your point not only were there times i remember where it's like i tune in the next week to something go ah it's a repeat but i don't know if next week's a repeat i don't know Mm -hmm. when we're getting another new episode it could be three weeks five weeks I had no idea back then. I mean, at least we know February, you know, we know we're not going to be questioning every week. Oh my gosh. I really thought we'd get another new discovery this week, but no, we didn't. (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, one question that this raises in the Trek movie article that I'll link in the show notes is what about Picard season two? Because as it stands right now, we've got the next episode of Discovery, January 30th, the episode But to Connect is coming that day. Then it's going on a break until February 10th, in which time Prodigy will air. But Picard was advertised as coming in February of 2022. I'm assuming that that's probably pushed now with Discovery taking up that slot. So that kind of is a little bit more evidence that this kind of caught everybody, including the folks at Viacom CBS, a bit by surprise. Unless they're airing Discovery and Picard back to back, which I don't see them doing. Yeah, I don't know. I think this does mean Picard is getting pushed. And maybe again, it has something to do with Picard. That Mm -hmm. maybe it's just that, oh my gosh, Picard is still in post-production. They still need a little extra time. If we keep Discovery going and bring on Prodigy again in January and those two overlap, and then all of a sudden there's this hole in February of nothingness until, because now we have to delay Picard. And February is also an important month, not as important as it used to be, but it's sweeps month when they really look at ratings and stuff. And I, I don't think that really pertains too much to a Paramount Plus type of streaming service in the States, but they probably would just don't want to keep February as this blank slate waiting for Picard to come. So they're pushing Discovery more into that that period. That's a really good point that I hadn't thought of. And can you imagine the complaints that if, you know, they they did overlap Discovery and Prodigy and then all of a sudden there was a big gap the fans would all be crying like, why did you overlap those if you were just going to make us have a big gap with no Star Trek after until Picard came? So that's a good point. That could very well have been what fueled this. Yeah. And the more I'm thinking about, the more I'm thinking it probably does lean in that direction, I think. Because that why, that's why it would be such a last minute decision. Like all of a sudden that we're getting this announcement because they're sitting there going, hey, guys, we're just like 30 days or so away are you going to have Picard ready? Can we play this out for those many episodes? For, and they're like, we just need a little more time. Uh, I do have to say this is uh, kind of playing into their long-term strategy that we heard a few years ago of them wanting to have year-round Star Trek. So the kind of more spread out it is and not overlapping, the better, I think, for that kind of strategy. So uh, I'm kind of pleased that we'll just be able to focus on Prodigy without Discovery being there at the same time. And I, I was kind of worried about Prodigy being a little bit of an afterthought, you know, oh, let's talk about all the stuff that happened in Discovery this week. Oh yeah. And also Prodigy did this, this, and this kind of thing. So I'm, I'm glad we'll be able to do a bit more of a focus on that rather than having to dilute the two of them together. So I'm kind of pleased for that, but I do understand fans that are disappointed in this news when, you know, the momentum of the season is going and you don't necessarily want to break that up. So yeah, I get it though. But at the same time, I'm thinking, but we're still getting new Star Trek. Like I'm Mm -hmm. actually looking forward to then that following week of getting Prodigy and it's like, okay, now we'll, yeah, let's get, get back to some Prodigy again, finish that up and, oh, then we'll go back to Discovery again and finish that up. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just glad we're getting new Star Trek every week. Come on. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, speaking of new Star Trek, television isn't the only way to get new Star Trek stories because, of course, we have the novels and the comics. And IDW, the publishers of Star Trek comics, have just announced a new miniseries 
called Adventures in the 32nd Century. And this is a miniseries that stars Star Trek Discovery supporting characters. So this looks pretty cool. I, I like that it's not just, you know, some discovery story using the crew it looks like they've got kind of an interesting angle that they're taking on the star trek discovery story using these more minor characters uh, so the first issue will focus on a very minor character in the eyes of some i guess but a very major character in the eyes of others which will be cleveland booker's cat grudge so yeah i don't know how i feel about <laughs> this honestly because when I saw this announcement, it was about Grudge. I was like, flashbacks to the Waypoint comics, where we only <laughs> yep. got the only Star Trek Enterprise comic ever done was this short story in Waypoint about Porthos. And Porthos goes like back in time and helps Archer. <laughs> like, it was cute. But that's not something that's going to get me excited to go into a series. But that was the first thing that popped in my mind. I'm like, is this like some adventure of Grudge or is this like the day in life of Grudge? But it sounds like it might be leaning more towards how Book and Grudge got together, how they met, which, okay, that kind of origin story I would I would be interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's It's not to me what the big draw of this series is going to be but it seems like it might be a fun way to start it out the uh, artwork for this issue features a pair of covers uh the first one uh is artist angel hernandez of course but the retailer incentive cover is by none other than friend of the show and fellow podcaster aaron harvey so a uh, big shout out to aaron for uh getting this cover commission i guess for for this this issue so way to go that's awesome yeah he told me about this a while ago but mm. wouldn't tell me what it was so don't worry aaron i'm not you know he was like i can't tell you what it is but i've got something coming <laughs> you know and i was like been waiting to see what is it what is it what is it and now i know yeah very very cool it's a four issue mini series and the remaining three issues don't all focus on grudge uh, we have issues focused on Kayla Detmer, who's a personal favorite of mine. Uh, we have Linus, the Saurian, and Ensign Adira Tall, all from Discovery. So I'm excited about this series. I like that they're focusing more on the kind of less primary characters, the more secondary characters of the show. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like that we're giving the characters a chance that they're not giving in the series. You know, we're going to get some backstories or some other adventures that they're doing on the side or whatever it is i think probably the one i'm a little more interested in is linus because that's the one that the character that we know the least about uh mm -hmm. detmer i'd like to know more about her adira i feel like we've gotten to know a lot about them but yeah it'd be interesting especially uh I would like it to maybe a little more backstory so i'm not i'm not sure if these are backstories or if these are things that are more current or not definitely excited to find out though for sure uh, there's no specific release date that has been released with this press release but uh, we're kind of assuming it'll be in the first half of 2022 so we'll uh, definitely bring you more about that as we learn it one thing i want to say is i'm looking at this trek core article and at the top of the page are the four characters the images not you know from the set or whatever they're not drawings illustrations for the comics but they're actual photos. I'm looking at the four of them side by side. And I thought, that's a comic I'd like to see that involves those four characters together <laughs> in some adventure. Yeah, it looks like they're they're all like have determined looks on their faces. So it looks like they're all 
ready to head out to face some sort of, yeah, I, I love it. That's great. This team, this crack Starfleet team. <laughs> yeah. So maybe you do an issue on each one of them. And then when you get to issue five, it's an adventure of the, you bring the four of them together. Oh, there you cool. go. <laughs> that would be fun. Well, we'll certainly talk about these at some point on the Positively Trek book club. And uh, like I say, we'll let you know as we learn release dates for them as well, for sure. Well, after all of that, let's take a brief break and we'll be right back with our review of Season 4, Episode 6, Stormy Weather. Thank you to you, our listeners, for supporting Positively Trek and to especially our patrons on Patreon. If you would like to contribute to Positively Trek and be a patron on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You'll get perks like early access to episodes and bonus content. And for those who are in the higher levels, you get shoutouts and associate producer credits and much more. And speaking of shoutouts, let's give a shout out to Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, and John Blaber. Thank you all for your support. Now let's go back to the show. I don't know if this is actually you. But I'm going to choose to believe it is rather than some part of my subconscious. Because if spirits do go on, that means Leto, Kahim, everyone else I've lost. They're not gone after all. Not really. Goodbye, Dad. And happy birthday. So stormy weather. Star Trek Discovery. Bruce, you were saying you had a certain song in your head, of course, as as you learned the title of this episode, which ultimately paid off in the episode. <laughs> I know, because I thought when I saw the title and before I watched the episode, I thought, oh, when we podcast about I'm going to sing the song Stormy Weather. And then they sing it in the show. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, forget it, because that's much, much, much better than what I could do. Uh, I can't follow that. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, we will give you a warning here at the top. We are talking about spoilers for the episode Stormy Weather. So if you haven't seen it, you might want to watch it before you listen to this, because we're going to jump right in, just like Discovery jumps right into this rift. So we have this mission to enter the subspace rift that's left behind by the DMA. They're trying to figure out more about its origins and how to combat it and stuff. So they figure they are going to go into this rift and uh, see what we can find out, do some scans. Stamets will do his science stuff. It'll be great. We start with a bit of a discussion of previous journeys into subspace rifts and Saru name drops the Enterprise and Voyager so what did you make of this conversation? Because I've seen different interpretations online as to what the heck Saru is talking about. I love that you're mentioning about what people say online because I haven't read anything. So I have no mm. idea what people are saying about this. But my thought was when he said the Enterprise and Voyager, I thought of the 1701 at first because I like that's from their era. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when he said Voyager, I was like, well, wait, that was after they left to come to the future. So they would have known they would not have known the Janeway Voyager before they came over. So I'm thinking, but at the same time, is he really reaching that far back that many centuries to see if anyone has experienced a rift or anything like this before? And 
And then I thought, well, there's been many enterprises. It could be the A, B, C, D, E, whatever, go on. And, and there's been many Voyagers. So I don't know which ones he's talking about. And I don't know. I'm not, I don't know my Star Trek that well enough to say, oh, I think he's talking about the Enterprise in this episode and Voyager in this episode. Yeah, it, it was it was vague because he didn't mention, like you said, which Enterprise or which Voyager. And I've seen online that people kind of jumped to the to the immediate assumption that like, oh, there is an Enterprise flying around right now because there is a Voyager and Saru's talking about, oh, the Enterprise encountered this rift last week or something like that. But I, I I think you're right. I think he's talking about an historical Enterprise and Voyager, not the ones that are around possibly at this time. Because he said they were similar rifts that they encountered, like, you know, yeah. like past, right? Yeah. And then later in the episode, he pretty definitively says, you know, those rifts weren't caused by the DMA, though. So this is those probably weren't recent. I looked up subspace rift on... Memory Alpha. I knew you would. Thank you. Because <laughs> I want to know about this. The only one they talk about is uh, in the episode Force of Nature. That's the TNG episode where they discover that speeds are, are warp speeds are causing subspace rifts and stuff. And the Enterprise enters one at the end of that episode and has to escape it. So I think he might be talking about the Enterprise D then in this case there's no mention of anything with regards to voyager but i the one thing i remember is uh seven of nine when she was still a borg using the voyagers deflector array to create a rift so they could go into fluidic space and i couldn't remember if they called that a subspace rift or something like that it was a rift of some kind but anyway that's what popped into my head so i have no idea if that's what they're referring to but anyway if i was a betting man i'd say Probably not. I don't think they're being specific to anything. Just mm -hmm. saying in general, they just drop name drop. We'll say Enterprise and Voyager. You know, they yeah. I don't think there's they're aiming at particular episode or anything. But it would be funny if they did come back and say what you just said, like, oh, we were referring to this episode with the Enterprise D from TNG and from Voyager. And I don't recall this either, but oh, Kirsten Beyer wrote a novel that had a a rift, subspace rift, and she wanted us to refer to that because. A little hint, a little wink at the readers of her novels, but I don't recall a, a rift in her novels either. So yeah, it, it makes sense that it's just like name dropping a couple ships, that kind of thing. It was interesting though when I looked up subspace rift that the only mention was the the force of nature one. So I feel like that was a that might have been a specific one. They just want to get us all riled up like this and just exactly talk about it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> For but yeah, sure. I could see it being the more recent if there is a if, if there's an existing enterprise at this time. We know there's a Voyager. It, yeah, it could be. It could be, you know, they have some data from something just from a few years ago. It definitely could, could be. be. It could yeah. be any time in that 900 or even beyond. They could be talking about the Enterprise NX01 for all we know. Well, speaking of referring to past experiences, uh they enter this rift and they find this void of nothingness. It's just black and there's no navigational markers. Like there's no way to maneuver or anything like that. It's just this black void. My brain went to, do you remember the season two TNG episode where silence has lease, where they go into this blackness and, and they keep encountering weird things yes. and stuff. 
Yes. My brain was totally there for this part. It did remind me. I was thinking of something about TNG that I couldn't remember specifically, but I was like, this this has a familiar feel to me from TNG. I remember something kind of like that. It also, to me, felt like V'ger from the motion picture. Not the nothingness, mm. but just mm-hmm. that whole, just this vastness of something and it's quiet and... I don't know. It, I just got vibes from that, too. I could see that, that pullback shot of Discovery where it keeps getting smaller and smaller yes. in the frame. That felt very V'ger-ish, yeah. Yeah, I kept expecting, like, when they launched the dot, like, I expect it to get further and further and further away and then start coming at them from the other side or yeah. something, <laughs> like in that episode. And that's not what happens. It starts to disintegrate, starts to get eaten, uh, as they say. So... Yeah, there's there's kind of this barrier, this boundary, I guess, that seems to be closing in on them that's uh, destructive to their stuff. <laughs> so, I'm very articulate about this episode, clearly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of the impending doom of this episode as this kind of closes in on them. This And at that point, I'm also thinking of the TNG episode, Remember Me, where Dr. Crusher's in that bubble universe and it's like contracting and stuff. I don't know. This this episode just had so many little touchstones that made me think of other episodes. I And I like that, you know, Broom's just like, we can do this, people. We can get out. You know, we just need to figure it out. Like there's, you know, try not to panic, keeping her cool, keeping the cool of the bridge crew and everybody. I just love seeing them in that situation and trying to figure out how to get out and talking about the science of maybe what's going on and, and that sort of thing. So it was, yeah, I like that whole, that whole bit of being stuck there and it's closing in on you. What do you do? But the, the, the one thing is though, the poor screaming dot. <laughs> I felt so bad for that little robot. (laughs) I know. I love the dots. And, you know, you were just saying, and it just made me think when we were talking about the dot a moment ago that, I mean, I love the dots so much that I want to see an episode where they beam down to some planet and they have a dot with them to help them out. And it's there also because they want to take Zora with them. And Zora is in the dot flying Mm -hmm. around. That would be cool. That would be really cool. Speaking of Zora, she's going through some issues in this episode. So we've seen that she's kind of getting this emotional growth. She's kind of learning about emotions and and, and experiencing them herself. And she's getting overwhelmed in this episode because she's experiencing this emotional reaction to what's going on and worried that she won't be able to protect the crew and all of the, her little functions are kind of distracting her from what needs to be done. What did you think of that whole bit with Zora and kind of her struggle in this episode? I really liked it. I mean, it's such, again, another Star Trek type of thing about dealing with emotions. And, and you know, it's, it reminds me of Data in a lot of ways. You know, of Data trying to come to terms of why, what are emotions and how do I feel this way? And especially when he gets his emotion chip and how do I deal mm-hmm. with this and feeling overwhelmed and, and Zora's going through that evolution again, it's, it feels very Star Trek, even like with Spock and some other characters of just how to deal with emotions and the whole thing about being overwhelmed. And I, because of my job right now, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. And so watching that, it kind of helped where it's like, I just need to, to focus and not, try to let so much noise go on. I don't need to worry about every little thing that's happening. I don't need to know if a replicator is working or not right at the moment or where, you know, and it's just about bringing it down, 
And actually, you know, the whole thing with Gray playing the game, it made me start to think that maybe I should have like a little game with me when I'm working. When I felt start to feel that way, and I, I maybe just take a break, play a little game, and get back at it. Yeah, I I remember I did this a few years ago, and it might be something I should look into doing again. But again, it's like, where do I find the time? Which is the whole overwhelmed thing. But I used to have a, a just a crossword puzzle book with me. And that's kind of how I would detach from the world for just a few minutes. I'd just sit down and, and try and work out a few clues and a crossword puzzle or something like that. And it just gave me something to focus on that wasn't that, it, you know, and I had to focus on it because I had to read these words and try and figure it out. And I couldn't let the outside world kind of creep in on that. And uh, I found that really helped me from time to time. And, and I was just thinking about this the other day. And uh, maybe I should do that again, because that seems to really work for Zora here. And of course, helping her out, like you said, is gray and this game that he's using to help focus his mind and stuff. So that was really interesting. I loved gray's role in this episode and how he helped Zora out here. Me too, because, you know, we were talking this in a previous episode where I said, what's gray's role now on the show? What is Gray going to do? He's not part of the crew. And he's trying to find a purpose. Like, I don't want to just be a passenger. I just don't want to be hanging out in the lounge all the time. I've got to feel productive. And so this is a moment where he's helping Zora, but Zora's also helping him. I mean, not to say that his purpose is always going to be helping Zora, but the fact that he's staying to be a guardian, he can learn those skills and use those skills with the crew on the discovery. So I think we're starting to find out what we're going to see Gray doing for the rest of the season. And that is learning to be a guardian, but also helping others, whether it's Zora or other people on the crew with what he's learning in his studies to be this guardian. Yeah. I'm definitely interested to see more of his journey through this season and, and where he ends up and, and that kind of thing. I, I did enjoy that it was directly addressed in this episode that, you know, he's a, at a little bit of loose ends, kind of not really knowing what his purpose here is and stuff. So that's that's fun to see that he's starting to figure that out a little bit. Yeah, I wanted to, it would be funny if he was like, you know, I, I need a purpose. I need to be more than just watering Saru's plants or feeding grudge twice a day <laughs> it's like really that's what they have great doing is these little odds and ends around the ship come on definitely well uh they they need to get out of this rift and you know they they can't maneuver there's no navigational touchstones for them to kind of figure their way out so they decide they're going to try and jump the ship out and book takes the spore drive in this case but he ends up getting zapped. There's something weird about the mycelial network and how it exists inside this rift. And he has a, a bit of a kind of traumatic experience, which leaves him seeing hallucinations. And the main hallucination he sees is his father. This was a really interesting bit of the story here. And we learn a little bit more about book and his relationship with his father and the values that his father has that book has kind of moved away from. I kind of also want to highlight, this is just another 
in a string of, in my opinion, really great bits of guest casting. I was really enthralled by his father and kind of his intensity when he's speaking with Book. I got a lot of vibes in this episode to other Star Trek things, but because they're in a void and he's hallucinating and it's like, is this his father real in some manner or not? You know, what's going on here? I kept thinking of Cisco being in the wormhole talking to mm. the prophets, the you know, because, you know, you're in this weird environment and you're having this experience of talking to somebody from your past. And so I had those kind of vibes, which made me think about Cisco and his relationship with his father, where I could see his father like being stern with Cisco when he needs it, you know, but this relationship is different than that. It's totally different. And the fact that we find out that book has a different name and mm-hmm. that his father thinks that book is being weak and that he made his mistakes and maybe he shouldn't have done things that he did because he was scared of the Emerald chain. There was a lot there for books character that I think is, we're going to see more of. Yeah, definitely. And how he stands up to his father and proclaims himself to be the man he is and stuff. I, I thought that was really good. But at the same time, we have some insights into the voices that are speaking to book in his head as, as he goes through life. And I don't mean in like that, that sounds, we all have voices in our head that speak to us from our past, from the people who are important to us that all kind of influence who we are and, and how we go forward. And it's interesting to me that he has this voice of his father in his head that, you know, is telling him these things that he kind of has to struggle against a little bit throughout his life because of of his beliefs and how he relates to Burnham, for example. The fact that whether this is his actually his father somehow or just his own subconscious, you know, there's a voice in his head telling him she's going to choose Starfleet over you every time. Don't trust her. Don't follow her. And he ha- has to kind of struggle against that. I thought that was a really interesting bit of insight here. Because Book believes that himself, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think Book is just like, you know, how is this relationship going to work long term? What's going to happen? Is she going to choose Starfleet over me? I'm following her. How long do I need to keep following her? When do I need to do what I maybe need to do? And if I need to go do something, is she going to follow me? Or is she always going to choose Starfleet over me? And then he probably rationalizes that and says, well, no, all is good. And, and maybe I'm overthinking it. But I think at the same time, he's saying that little voice in the back of his head is something his father would tell him. No, you, you, you're right. You, you've got to be worried about this. You've got to decide what you're going to do with your life and what your relationship is going to be like with her. Your parents' voices can always be there in the back of your head. And as a parent now myself, I keep that in mind when I'm you know, talking to my daughters about stuff is, you know, whatever I'm saying to them that, you know, when they're 30 or 40 or 50 years old, they may hear my voice in the back of their head. So I want to make sure it's the right messages. And then, but those who have, you know, struggles with their parents, those voices aren't always the best advice. And if anything, they're just there to remind you that, you know, you've had struggles and you're mad and you're angry at how they treated you and what they said to you. And how do you suppress that? Because it just never really seems to go away. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and 
great insights there for sure. I really like that. Speaking of books past, and, and you, you briefly mentioned this as well, and we've gotten some talk about it in previous episodes, but his name, Cleveland Booker, isn't the name that he was given as a child or anything like that. And I think in a past episode, they've alluded to, you know, where did you get the name Cleveland Booker? And he said, oh, it's a story I'll tell you sometime. And we still haven't gotten that story yet. But I found this episode interesting in that the idea of identity and chosen identities came up a few times with Book, but also with Gray and Zora. Zora chose her name, and Gray mentions that he chose his name as well because he thought it sounded cool. <laughs> you know, and this is a this is a theme that's come up in Discovery before, but I thought it was interesting this particular episode highlighting that found identity or that chosen identity, that decision to change something fundamental about yourself and go forward with that new identity. I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting theme in this this week. It is interesting that they went there with that. I don't know really. I guess it is what you're saying, like choosing your identity. So by choosing your name, it chooses your identity. I haven't really thought that much about it, about how I feel about people changing their names all the time. I mean, of course, it happens a lot of times when someone gets married, typically you know, a woman, she takes her husband's last name. So there's name changing there going on and people take on nicknames and so we don't always go by the names that we're given. As a matter of fact, I remember my brother's wife when she was younger. She had a dog that I was always heard her family refer to as one name. And then I found out that wasn't even the real name. I'm like, they named the dog, but then called it something totally different. Why didn't you just name the dog the name you're going to call it? <laughs> you know? But yeah, I guess it is about identity. The other thing I thought of, it's so weird how this episode just reminded me of other things in Star Trek. It made me think of number one. Because number one chooses the name of Una, and we're going to find out more about number one's name in Strange New Worlds about the last name. But even in the novels, Una or number one has had a few various names that contradict between novels and comics. But it's also been identified in those books that number one's name is hard to pronounce by humans, so she has chosen a name or different names that people can use for her. I don't know if the show's going to play it out that way, but it made me think of that too. So this whole idea of choosing names is uh, quite interesting to me. Yeah. And I, I don't know that I have any kind of conclusions to draw yet. I just, I just thought it was interesting that this kind of keeps coming up and, and that it's something that they're kind of focusing on this season. I, yeah. And I feel like it, a lot of it is saying, you know what, we're born as something right and then our parents give us a name and we're given an identity but as the title says discovery we're discovering ourselves as we get older and once we get to the point of self-discovery and know who we really are are we really what we thought we were or what others thought we were when we were younger when we were born on a personal level you know i grew up in the lutheran church and i was baptized as a baby and I started to explore other types of Christian religions, Christian churches, when I got to college. And I got rebaptized at a church that fully dunks you in all of water and, and out. It was a different type of church. And my parents were a little upset. And they're like, But you were baptized as a baby. And I said, Yeah, but that was the decision you made. This was now 
my decision. Now mm-hmm. that I'm an adult and I think on my own, I wanted to make the decision. Now my my views of religion and and Christianity and stuff have changed even over time since then. But it, again, it was more about me making the decision of who I am. And not, and not that I don't honor what my parents did for me, but it was also my statement and not just my parents' statement. You can see that sort of thing play out over all kinds of people's lives and different decisions. And, and you know, maybe not quite as, as fundamental as, as something like that, but I, I remember, and I might have told this story on the podcast before too, but uh, when I was a kid, I was always Daniel. My name was Daniel. That was what everybody called me all the time. And when uh, when I was a teenager, I got a job as a ski instructor at our local hill, and they were just making the little badge to put on my on my jacket. The person asked me, "It's like, oh, what do you what do you want it to be, Daniel, Dan, whatever?" And I was about to say Daniel, and then I was like, "No, Dan." And for whatever reason, I thought Dan was a, a better name for a ski instructor. I don't know, but I've gone by Dan pretty much ever since, just because like I. I just felt it fit me a little better. I kind of like, for whatever reason in that moment felt like a bit of a transition from childhood to adulthood a little bit. And I was, I was like, I want to be known as this going forward. And it's a very small change. It's not like groundbreaking or anything like that, but it did feel like something fundamental in my identity shifted just a little bit with that decision. And I don't know. It just fit me better, if that makes sense. Yeah, because, you know, Daniel was you as a kid and Dan is you as is a man. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're a different person. My wife is similar. I mean, she's I call her by a name that her family and her friends from high school and from university call her. But now she goes by the more formal side of the name. And I've asked her why. And she says, because it just sounds more adult that that other name doesn't you know work for me. That's more of like when I was a kid. And I was like, should I stop calling you that name? She goes, no, that still works for our relationship. But when it comes to adult relationships, she prefers the more formal name. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it just all depends. Well, I didn't think we'd go on that long about names. That's interesting. <laughs> Neither did I. Yeah, it, it kind of shows that it's a, it's a pretty fundamental theme. And, and like, I don't, I don't know, even if there's no conclusions to draw from what they talk about it in Discovery, it's obvious that it's something that means a lot to a lot of people. So, you know, I could, I could see kind of a similar discussion happening in the writer's room and them, you know, saying like, well, let's let's play with this theme a little bit. Let's talk a bit about it. That's kind of cool. I like yeah, Cause that. it's about what, what I prefer to be called. Right. And there's a lot of that recently in years about pronouns too. It's like what Absolutely. I prefer to be called. So I don't know if that's supposed to kind of make us think in that manner of, it's just a matter of how does an individual want to be identified and we are to respect how that person is identified. Mm-hmm. That absolutely went through my head as well, for sure. Especially with characters like Adira and Gray as well in the show. So, you know, that, that, that idea is there. And I saw a recent tweet by Jesse Earl, Jesse Gender on YouTube. And she said something along the lines of, that uh discover oh i wish i had it in front of me because it was worded so perfectly but it was it was something along the lines of nothing no show makes a transgender person feel more cared and loved than discovery or something like that i i i don't want to misquote it but that that tweet was just perfect i love that so 
That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That yeah, that's the general idea, right? So see, this is good stuff. This is why we watch Star Trek. Absolutely, for sure. Well, we also watch Star Trek for the the cool sci-fi plots and stuff, and we've got this rift that we've got to get out of. So uh we do have this idea for getting out for making the escape and they're going to send out this sonar ping basically that's going to reverberate at a certain frequency and Zora is going to be able to track that as long as they're able to get her to focus and and you know block out all the distractions and stuff but the shields will be down when they go through the the entrance to the rift or the exit to the rift, I guess, in this case. So they're going to put everybody in the transporter buffer, except for Burnham, uh, who's going to bring everybody out. And meanwhile, the discovery goes through and it's like really hot and with no shields, the ship's burning up and stuff. Burnham's there to kind of help Zora focus a little bit and she's able to get them through. What did you think of this whole like finale bit with them getting out of the rift here i like the idea of putting the crew in the pattern buffer if they're not going to survive the heat or it would be difficult to survive with that that heat and that intensity but when burnham's like i'm staying the captain stays with the ship i was like my first thought was like oh come on get in the pattern buffer you know zora can get the (laughs) ship through you don't need to like look like the hero and then my next thought was no because you're still yeah you're still the captain but you can't rely that Zora is going to make this happen. You've got to be there for Zora. You've got to make sure that there isn't some kind of technical issue or glitch that then you need to step in and correct or Zora freaks out because Zora's going through, you know, this whole personality transition and worries and scared and having fear. And you, yeah, you've got to be there to see this through. You can't just lock your way in a, pattern buffer and hope that you guys get through so it made sense for burnham to stay there and we see that support that burnham is giving to zora and she's even saying i get scared too you know i am scared you know that's but we just get through it we just we've got to just do it you know we've latch on to that fear and and have that work for you not against you then yeah the the song of stormy weather was Mm -hmm. Was was nice because I think it's also a way of saying, you know, when times are tough, it's like we said, like play a game or not to feel overwhelmed. Maybe it is just singing a song or just, you know, having a song in your head just to calm you down. Yeah, absolutely. I I enjoyed this. I thought the the peril was was interesting and that sort of thing. And and yeah, Burnham giving encouragement to Zora and stuff. That was really good. Some of the like peril I thought felt a little manufactured at times where, you know, in previous episodes, I hadn't really had this feeling this one for whatever reason, I was just like, just little things like, I don't know why Burnham's necessarily on the bridge at that moment. Like that's a pretty exposed area. That's going to catch a lot of this, like, you know, just go, go sit in sick bay and set up a console and, and talk to Zora that way or, or something, you know, like, I, I thought the thought, like, why don't she lock herself in the bathroom? It might be a little cooler in there. It might be a more insulated. <laughs> yeah. Go to the bathroom, turn on the AC, like just let's relax a little. But you know, of course we want the image of her in the command chair, commanding the ship and stuff. But it just some of that stuff, I was like, ah, oh, I feel like they could have made some different decisions that would have made this a little bit, maybe not as dramatic on screen, but make a little bit more sense that way. So 
unfortunately watching that, that was just kind of in the back of my head the whole time, which distracted me a bit. That said, I, I love the scenes, you know, Sinico Martin Green is so great as Burnham and, you know, this acting between her and Zora and, and that sort of stuff I did enjoy. And I thought really relevant to some of the themes of the episode and stuff. So yeah, it was fun. And of course, when Discovery does finally get out, that's not just going to buff out. Like they need to spend some time in the space dock getting some major repairs there by the looks of it. You know what occurred to me the second time I watched that scene is because I keep running through my head, especially because Zora is being focused on, is that whole Calypso short trek, right? And why mm-hmm. is the Discovery look more like the original Discovery and not this new refitted Discovery? And we see that scene where we have Saru and Book talking, and it's mentioned how amazing programmable matter works. Mm-hmm. And I thought, is this a little little piece of breadcrumb they're giving us in the back of our head because at some point Zora's going to use programmable matter to reshape the ship into the way it used to look you know at, mm. at, for whatever reason at some point later because I just thought that was an interesting little line just to place there yeah I had that similar thought I was also thinking of Calypso and with of course the evolution of Zora and stuff and I was wondering in the back of my head what if and I don't know how I would feel about this and I'm curious how you would feel about it what if they totally didn't address that part and just like retconned it so that the discovery in Calypso looks like the discovery does now like would that bug you too much that that doesn't match up. I have had those same thoughts too. Like they just might go, ah, screw it. You know, <laughs> eh, it would be, it would bother me a little, but I, yeah. I could get over it and just, you know, if, if I want to make it work in universe, I could say, oh, well maybe that was a different timeline. Yeah. Okay. Well, they do get out, like we said, and, and having to undergo these repairs and kind of uh, taking off from last week and the, the Akali family tree artifact thing Burnham's decided to create her own family tree and we see little snippets of her found family as well as her uh, adopted family and stuff. We've got Spock and Sarek and Amanda, but also Tilly and Saru and, and all of her friends on Discovery. And Zora decides to make her own as well. I loved these scenes. I thought that was really cool. And I also loved, although it made me sad, how much focus there was on Tilly in these trees. <laughs> I noticed that too. <laughs> because I'm like, oh. And it's almost to the point where I forgot that Tilly wasn't there until they did those. And I was like, oh yeah, Tilly. Now I feel cheated. <laughs> yes. I had the same thoughts too. Absolutely. And my other thoughts were, okay, I can understand like a family tree. You put a member of your family on it, but you really put them on there more than once. Like, Oh, you got to put Spock when he's young and Spock when he's older. <laughs> I thought that yeah, was a right? interesting. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was odd. In my brain, I was like, well, it's it's more of a memory tree, I guess, than a, a family tree or something. But yeah. 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 Because, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like in, you know, my home, we've got pictures of my daughters when they were younger and how they look today. So it's almost like if family portrait of you know oh here's my brother when we were younger and 
that was our childhood relationship. And now we have this adult relationship and here he is what he looks like today. Well, not today, but the last time I saw him, you know, just a short 900 years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the other thing we learn at the end, of course, is that apparently the DMA passed through the galactic barrier. And I loved when that was called out uh, because it means apparently that this anomaly is from outside the galaxy. So it's not someone we're familiar with in the Milky Way, apparently, that's that's created this and has brought it upon us, but it's from some outside force. So do we have any kind of speculation as to who that might be? Or probably no one we've seen before, but... I'm hoping it's no one we've seen before, because I like to get some new stuff. I don't want it to always to be it's something familiar that's returning. But uh, I haven't really given much thought to it, because in some ways it didn't want to. I just kind of want to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Saw some speculation online. I mean, you think outside the galaxy, there's only a few that we've gotten in Star Trek's past. The main one being the Kelvins, who were going to invade our galaxy in the original series at some point. So, I don't know. That's an interesting shout out. Could be them. The other shout out that we didn't mention earlier that I just want to say I did catch it was when everyone's going into the transporter buffer and they say, oh, there is, you know, Starfleet history of someone surviving in a transporter buffer long term. Of course, referring to Scotty in uh, the TNG episode Relics. So I did catch that one. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, I caught that one, too. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, with that, any final thoughts slash anything we haven't mentioned in this episode with regards to stormy weather? I think we've mentioned most of what I guess I would want to say. I mean, there's still a lot of little things in there that were really good, little touches between different characters. But overall, I thought this was a really great episode. I think the last four episodes, maybe five, where are we now? No, I'd say last four. Last four to me have been really strong. And I love the direction the series is going in at this point. And the writing style, I'd like to see this continue uh, in the manner that we began these last few episodes. And so this is up there with the others. And even though I said I haven't really been reading online, I did briefly look at our discussion group and I think someone said something about, you know, this being, or I think I saw a couple of people saying this being like one of their top five discovery episodes. Hmm. I, I don't know if I would, if I would classify it in my top five for sure, but cause I haven't really thought about that much, but I would just say it's solid and I'm feeling that there's more solid episodes this season than I think I have in maybe previous seasons or I thought. In previous seasons, it was getting more solid, but I think this is even more solid than those. So I I wouldn't say it's my favorite episode or anything of Discovery, but I'll give this four and a half out of five dots that survived the rift. Yeah, I agree for the most part. I feel like this one to me, and this is just my own personal opinion, isn't quite as strong as the last few episodes last week's just is still going to have an amazing like place in my heart. Just, I love that episode. This one, it's a very good episode. Solid. That's a great way to describe it. It's a, it's a solid episode for sure. Very good back to front. Definitely. Like you said, this show is just really finding its footing and really getting to a good place. So 
yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. One question I wanted to ask, though, is this the first time we've seen Dr. Pollard this season? Yes, because I keep waiting for her to return because I'm like, is she still there? I kept wondering that all season. So I was very pleased to see her. Okay, good. Because I was like, Dr. Pollard, she's there. We haven't seen her in ages. Okay, cool. I'm glad I haven't just like missed her somewhere. So uh, I'm glad that they had her here. Also, the return of the the main crew. I thought that was great. I was so happy to see Detmer and Awoshikun and all the rest for sure. So And Bryce. Bryce was there too. That was awesome. So yeah, I'm going to have to give this one four out of five hallucinations caused by a spore drive malfunction but they're good hallucinations yes only the good ones yes <laughs> absolutely well i'm curious what everyone's thoughts on this episode are please reach out to us positively trek at gmail.com or comment on our discussion thread for this episode in the positively trek discussion group on facebook and we're also on twitter at positively trek and Bruce, where can people find you? Admiral underscore Rex on Twitter. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And you can also occasionally hear me on the Star Wars Report podcast and on Literary Treks. Excellent. You can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. Instagram, I'm Kurtrats47. And also... Thank you so much to the Patreon supporters for your help in bringing these episodes to you. We could not do it without you. Patreon.com slash Positively Trek if you're interested in helping the podcast out. Thank you all so much for listening this week. We'll see you next time. Until then, stay positive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.